I just think God is so good, um, which is always a good thing, I think, to declare. But just the whole theme of worship, some of the words that have been shared um, are so on point with what we're going to be looking at from Psalm 63 today. Um, it's really exciting um, that that's going to be the case. But it's going to be a slightly uh, a different order today. Um, and the way I can describe it is, has anyone seen the Chronicles of Narnia, the film? Uh, the first one, I think it is, The Lion, Witch and Wardrobe. I'm not very committed, so I don't know the names. I might have got the wrong one, but it's the first one. Um, and obviously on a film, it's, well, two hours long, so you have loads of content. But, you know, the, the cool bit is when Aslan turns up, isn't it, and saves the day. That's the real high point of the, of the film, I would say. Um, but then you kind of span back sometimes when you re-watch films and you think, oh, actually, that's why that happened that seemed really innocuous. Um, and details start to make sense. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to span into the high points, um, and then we're going to zone out and see some of the other things that Psalm 63 is going to bring out for us. But today's high point, is, is there a PowerPoint? Is there? I, I did send one to Duncan, but that's okay. So there's no PowerPoint today. So if you want to find on your phones or your Bible Psalm 63, and you can give Duncan all the ridicule after. Um, but that's even better because I have to explain things more, which is great. So the, the title of today's sermon is, uh, and it's from verse 4 in Psalm 63, which we'll read in a moment, because your loving kindness is better than life. And that's what I want to say to you today, that if you're a Christian here, then you can declare that with the biggest, broadest smile, knowing that that is true, that God's loving kindness is better than anything that this life can offer, and even still remaining in this life can offer. And I think that's amazing. So we're going to look into that a little bit more. I'm just going to read Psalm 63, and then I'll pray for us. So I'm reading from verse. I'm reading from the NASB, so there might be a few words that are different, but it will generally be the same. Oh God, you are my God. I shall seek you earnestly. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Thus I have seen you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory because your loving kindness is better than life. My lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul is satisfied as with marrow and fatness and my mouth offers praises with joyful lips. When I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches, for you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I sing for joy. My soul clings to you, your right hand upholds me, but those who seek my life to destroy it will go into the depths of the earth. They will be delivered over to the power of the sword. They will be a prey for foxes, but the king will rejoice in God. Everyone who swears by him will glory, for the mouths of those who speak lies will be stopped." Let's pray. Father God, as we meditate on some wonderful truths this morning, this wonderful psalm, I just pray that you would take my words, take my preparation, Lord, and, and just use what is good of it. Through the power of your Holy Spirit, take just human words and really make them connect with us, encourage us, inspire us, draw us into a deeper revelation of you and a knowledge of you, and an excitement, and a, a joyfulness of, of knowing you as well, Lord. I pray for these things today, amen. amen. 
So because your loving kindness is better than life, some versions will say because your love is better than life. As I said at the beginning, David is saying here in verse 4 that nothing in this world or in this life can compare. No amount of wealth, even if you were the richest man or woman in the world, that wouldn't compare. Even if you had the most love from your family members, from friends, from your, your uh, other half maybe, that wouldn't compare. There is nothing in this world, not even still existing, still living, still breathing, is as good as the loving kindness of God. So it's important to us, what is, what is this loving kindness that is spoken of? Well, David is not speaking here about primarily what God has done for him. It's not the wonderful moments which we're going to look at in, in, in a little bit. It's not the, the wonderful things and events that have occurred as a result of God's blessing on David's life. He's primarily speaking about God himself. If you look at verse uh, 2, it is, he talks about being in God's presence. So actually experiencing God's loving kindness is experiencing God himself. And if you read 1 John, verse 4, 7 to 8, it reads this, Beloved, let us one, let love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God, and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God is love himself. David is saying in this psalm, declaring in this wonderful song that he, he, would, have, he would have sung, and many Christians would have sung, thankfully for your ears, I'm not singing it this morning. He is saying that the very relationship and presence of God, of being one with him, being connected to him, is better than anything that life can offer. And I think that's particularly, particularly important for two reasons. And I think that maybe today we might fall sometimes in these two camps from David's life. You might fall in one of these. You might experience both or be somewhere in the middle. But I think this statement that David makes is absolutely amazing, firstly for this reason. This psalm is written from David being in the wilderness. They believe most probably scholars that it was, he was in the wilderness when he was hiding from Saul, who was trying to kill him because David had been appointed the king in waiting. He's saying, these, he's saying that God's loving kindness, knowing God's love is better, even though his very life is at risk. When he says that word, it's better than life, his life is in danger. People are coming to kill him. I don't know if people can relate to that. I'm very fortunate in the sense of I've never had any near-death experiences. I've not lost many loved ones. But it's quite profound. It's quite profound in the heat of those circumstances, of your very life being at threat, to be able to say, but still. But still, God, God's presence, him being the very, the very realisation of love itself, knowing him, just being in his presence for a few moments is better than whether I live or die. I think that's amazing. And secondly, on the other end of the spectrum, David's experienced some amazing highs. He's not someone in life who hasn't experienced the high points of what this world has to offer. 1 Samuel 16. David is chosen as the king-in-waiting. Samuel, the prophet, goes, is told to go to this family and uh, asks the father to call all his sons. David's forgotten. He's deemed so small and 
irrelevant that he couldn't possibly be the king. He couldn't possibly be the one that this important prophet has come to, to commission as the king in waiting. Yet God had him as the one that was chosen. 1 Samuel 17, David defeats Goliath. How euphoric a moment must that have been? He defeats the giant that his people are terrified of and have been unable to, even the king himself saw is unable to defeat. Yet with a few little pebbles and a whole dose of trust in God, he defeats this giant. Imagine what it was like. It must have been as euphoric as taking a wicket in a cricket game. You're being mauled and held up maybe a little bit better. But finally, we also see David actually goes into uh, the king's palace and plays the harp because he turns out to be a really good harp player, which is um, a skill to have. But he's seen the riches. He's seen that king, the king can have pretty much whatever he wants. He knows what his inheritance on this life is to come, what it is to come, what it is to involve. He's going to have some pretty cool things that he can call upon, that he can do. Yet David declares, none of this compares to knowing God. None of this compares to a moment in your presence. And one of my favourite psalms is, I don't know if anyone else has this in their mind as I'm speaking. Psalm 84, verse 10. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. Summarises what David gets. Nothing is comparable to being in God's presence. Nothing at all. He even says in that psalm, to even be at the doorpost, to have a tiny, seemingly irrelevant role, but just to be able to look in, just to be able to say, I am of that number. Brothers and sisters, if you call God your father today, then you can say that is true of you. And of course, this is David writing pre-Jesus coming. All of this is wonderful truth before but we know having the full the full bible now um we know that um jesus obviously jesus embodied jesus is um is god himself god on earth god incarnate and he demonstrated his love didn't he in the most one of the most powerful if not the most powerful way by laying his life down for us on the cross because he loved us rising up and defeating death. We also see that Paul in Philippians, Philippians 3, verses 8 to 10, says he counts everything as loss. I'll read it to us. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ. I love this. This is Paul embodying what David is singing here in this psalm. He knows everything in this world is of no value when it comes to being in relationship and encountering God. And I want to ask you today, and this is a private moment for you, before you and God. Can you say before God that you consider your relationship with him as better than life? Now I'm not suggesting for a moment that we all live this out perfectly. David certainly didn't, and I don't. But that's what we should be. That's what we should be meditating on. 
because it drives what we turn ourselves to. And to invest in anything else is never going to offer the return of investing in a relationship with God. Do we prize possessions over God? Do we have things that come in our mind, a bit like um, Martin challenged us on earlier on? Are there things in our lives that we think, actually, that's, that's what I wake up thinking of. That's what I spend most, most time investing in. On the flip side, do we have tough situations at the moment in life? Moments like David in the wilderness where your life is in danger. Or just really horrible, grotty situations, which of course consume your time and your focus. But even those things, and we can come and obviously bring those things to God, but even those things are not better than what we can experience when we come into God's presence. Relationship with God, dwelling in his love, is the only place that we will be truly fulfilled. It says in verse 5, my soul is satisfied as with marrow and fatness. Indulgent, wholesome food of that time. I don't know about you, I mean, I'm, I'm sure we all rush to have marrow on our table um, during the week, but it is, it's an indul- it's a wholesome, it's, wow, this is amazing. Completely satisfied. Can only come through a relationship with God. And this is in this life. We know that the full, the full completion of this is when we have our eternity in heaven, of course. And that's when all of this will be perfect. But this is now. David is, is saying this psalm, writing some now. He's not saying we have to wait to, to that time. So let's pursue this. And if you are not a believer, if you do not call and you don't know God as your Lord and Saviour, then I want to encourage you today, what could be better? What could be better? You can amass, as, as I've said, loads of things in this world, in this life. Cling on to this life, but nothing will ever be better than God's loving kindness. And it is because of this profound, joyful truth that David models to us in Psalm 63 that we then have, we span out, and we're going to look at three disciplines that he shows us. Now, I want to be clear at the start. This is not about legalism. This is not about totting up points or stickers for ourselves to say we've done this well, these things well this week. But the Bible does talk about us maturing as Christians. It does talk about us growing. It does talk about us being fruitful. And I think if we look at, from this psalm, we take these three things, which are thirsting for God, praising God, and trusting in God. If we take these three things, I think it's going to in, in, encourage us and help us to grow in maturity and to be more fruitful for him. But we'll see how these things flow from him. So firstly, verse 1, first thing for God. David models this, doesn't he? He says, oh God, you're my God, I shall seek you earnestly. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you. It's quite interesting that, that David mentions both the body, he speaks of the flesh, doesn't he? My flesh yearns for you. But he also speaks of the soul. This is an all-encompassing body and mind thirst that is going on here. A desire. 
And of course, we have the powerful imagery, don't we? We have the powerful imagery of David being in the desert, that he's probably thirsting for water. He doesn't practically have, I wouldn't imagine, um, lots of bottled choices. Um, you know, this is a real, but what, he's not thirsting. He's not saying, I thirst for a drink in this hot desert sun. He's saying, above all, my everything first for your presence. And why wouldn't it? Because his loving kindness is better than life. I've really struggled to find an illustration in my life as to when I have thirsted. Because once again, I live a very privileged life where I have readily available taps and money to buy things to have a drink. But there is one account I follow on Twitter. There's a a church leader in New Frontiers, the, the family of churches that we're part of, and uh, he oversees the churches in Kenya, a man called Edward Burria. Lovely man. Not that I've ever met him, but he seems it on Twitter. But he constantly puts on Twitter, can you pray for this region in Kenya? Because they haven't had any water. They've had drought. And lives, very lives are at risk. And then occasionally, in amongst these sort of sad requests, which I will join in with, and I'm sure many others do, he will then put a video of either it thundering down with rain or uh, a well that they've built and is spraying up. I don't know how they managed to get that, if it's intentional or not, but it looks dramatic. But seeing the people jumping around, out in the rain, banging pots and pans, just delirious that their prayers have been answered. This is the kind of thirst that I think... And the response, obviously that's a response to their first thing and the answer to prayer. But that's the kind of first thing, the desire they must have shown and the prayers they must have cried. That I encourage us the model that David has done in this psalm for us. And of course, first thing is a biblical, is a biblical discipline. We see it mentioned in the Beatitudes. Matthew 5 verse 6, thirsting for righteousness. But also we see in John 7 verse 37 to 38... Really interesting. Jesus is at a feast. Once again, you have food, yet Jesus is talking about and applying thirsting to something else. And I'm going to read that to us. John 7, verse 37 to 38. Now, on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scriptures said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Jesus is saying, obviously speaking of himself as God, because he's speaking to an audience that didn't believe, uh, lots of them didn't believe that he was uh, the son of God. But it's very interesting once again that in a context where food and drink abound, he is using that illustration to say, "Come come and focus on me. Do we not want to first, guys, do we not want to first for living water? Do we want to have a drink in this life? Do we want to enjoy the, the pleasures of this life? As our primary focus, things we can't take into heaven with us. And have limited value even in this life where we have to do them again to replenish the enjoyment levels. Or do we want to come and have a drink from the living, the living water? You might also be thinking of the woman at the well. Once again, another example where she's just come for some water. Yet Jesus engages in dialogue with her and says, 
Do you want, do you want to drink living waters again? Do you want to come and invest in something that you will never, never be unsatisfied in? That's the encouragement to us today. So how? What does the psalm say to us on how we thirst? Well, verse 1. I shall seek you earnestly. Earnestly actually translates as early. I shall seek you early. And um, yearns actually translates as faints. So I'm not suggesting anyone faints in their pursuit of the Lord. Um, I'm really not. Um, But it shows to us that there is an eagerness, isn't there? So to be in a position where you are yearning, where you're fainting for something, it's like, wow, you must be really intensely praying and seeking God and seeking his presence for you to be in a position where you actually keel over and faint. I find the earnestly translating as early really interesting as well because verse 6 also says, I meditate on you in the night watches. Um, and it talks about the time. So seeking him early, but also seeking him at night. So we first for God by spending time with him not just once a day. And that's a real challenge. Because I know that we have lots that goes on in life. We have jobs, lots of us. If we don't have jobs, we have lots of other things that we're attending to. But there's a pattern here that I think is really helpful. Starting and closing the day by seeking God. By thirsting for him practically. That might be reading, a, reading uh, the Bible. It might be listening to some worship music. It might be listening to a sermon. It might be praying. There's so many wonderful possibilities of how we can do it. But I would encourage us, and I'd actually challenge us, do we first for God like this? I know that's been a real challenge to me in preparing this sermon. But I, I aspire to. And I, 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 I pray that we can aspire to as, as a church and as individuals. And all of this flows out of that it is, it's, it's time to pursue something that is better than life. Because when we have that in, we have the high point in its right place, then we think, of course, why wouldn't we first for this? Why wouldn't this overcome other things that occur in our lives? But also perhaps it's obedience and being more disciplined. I know on a real practical level for me, a devotional really helps. If I have no structure in my, in my walk, it generally doesn't happen much. But when I know I get into a routine of reading something and a diversity and a good diet of scripture, it really helps me. So I want to challenge us and encourage us. We must be intentional with these things. Let's try and imitate David's thirsting for God. Moving on to praising God. So the second discipline It's just a wash, isn't it, the psalm of of praise. Verse 3, lips praise. Verse 4, lifts his hands up in praise. Verse 4, lips offer praise again. And verse 7, sing for joy. David's response to to coming into God's presence, to reminiscing about how wonderful he is and how wonderful his living waters are, is to praise. So if David does this because he gets that it's better than life itself, Surely we do too. I've loved it this morning. I, I haven't seen anyone because I've, I've been at the front, not turning around. But I just, I just love to worship God. I just love to praise him. And do you notice this isn't just with our lips? David mentions he uses his whole body. 
And there's a fantastic story in 2 Samuel 6, verse 16 to 23, when the ark, the ark come back, comes back. It's the, the, the presence of God with his people, and they're bringing it back. And David's praise is so exuberant, he starts to appropriately take some of his clothes off and just go mad to the point where his wife is ridiculing him, saying, what are you doing? You're making yourself look like a complete fool. All husbands know what that's like. But this is not a moment where David should be criticised because what he's caught up in is rightful praise of the one who is better than life itself. And that's amazing. And I love Luke Luke 19 verse 40 as well. I, I, I often pray this verse and it leads me into praise. Where Jesus is in the triumphant entry um, and people are praising him, um, calling him the son of God, uh, laying things down. Um, and the Pharisees say, you know, you're going to stop your, your heretics from calling you the son of God. And Jesus responds with this. I think I've got this one written down. But Jesus answered, I tell you, if these become silent, the stones will cry out. He is so worthy of our praise and worship. We must, we must surely, if we get this central truth, we must respond in praise. So do we use our lips and bodies to praise God? I'm always challenged. I kind of grew up in a very reserved British um, setting of church. And there's so many things. You know, for me, the foot tap, that's, that's a, a big step. For my Nigerian wife, um, you know... I love it. I just love the freedom. They, they, they are before God. They do not care what people... They're not thinking of what people thinking of me. Just such free, like David in that story, just such free abandon to worship him with their full bodies. Um, <laughs> so, and do we have moments of exuberant praise? Do we? And do these moments just occur on Sundays? Do we just see praise and worship as, as the segment on a 20 minutes on a Sunday and then that's it for the week? Do we have moments? Preparing this has been fantastic for me. I've been walking around and probably annoying my wife of just, isn't God good? It's better than life. And it's just, it just leads you to. It leads you to as you meditate. So I really want to encourage us to think about these things and to grow in these things. So on to the final discipline, doing all right for time. Trusting in God. So you might notice that actually this psalm doesn't really focus on, it's the next psalm, 64, that David then goes on to actually pray for deliverance from, oh, something is on the screen now. Exciting. Um, He actually doesn't pray for deliverance in this one. Um, But but what he does do, which is, so, so his deliverance hasn't happened yet, and we know that. Whether it is that he's running from Saul or from Absalom, um, whatever he's running from, he has not been delivered from yet. And verses 9 to 11 speak of deliverance and judgment against enemies. So looking at those, um, so yeah, so he speaks, he says, but those who seek my life to destroy it will go into the depths of the earth. They will be delivered over to to the power of the sword. They will be a prey for foxes. but the king will rejoice. Everyone who swears by him will glory for the mouths of those who speak lies will stop. So what, what's, what's happening here? David's almost speaking as if it has happened, but we know it hasn't happened. Well, I think 
verse 7 is really important for us. For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I sing for joy. You see, David has known God as his deliverer. David has known throughout his time on earth that God is a, is a, a just, righteous God that has always come to his protection. So he trusts in him. So I think this is a, a, a psalm and a song of trust where actually in these moments he's meditating on, yes, what God has done, but he's also trusting them to do it again. They're trusting God to do it again, to deliver him from this, these circumstances. And God will either judge his enemies, those that are trying to kill him, he will either judge them and they will have eternity separate from him, or they will repent. But David knows that he can, he can leave that with the one who decides those things. That's above his station. That's not for him to decide. So he trusts God. He's declaring it. He's probably pulling on memories. I'm sure you have memories here yourself. Moments when God has come through for you. Really important to, to remember. But how? Once again, how do we trust? How do we trust? Verse 7. In the shadow of your wings. To be in the shadow of someone's wings, we need to be under them. We need to be close to them. Verse 8, clinging to you, which actually translates as being glued to, (laughs) which uh, is an odd phrase for us, but I think really helpful because it shows you once again, if, if clinging isn't quite doing the job, being glued to something, that's how close we need to be. We need to be well with God. And lots of these, lots of these intermix, you know, when we thirst for God, that is us thirsting, we're coming before him. We're, um, we are, we're gluing ourselves to him. When we praise him, once again, we're bringing ourselves before him. So we need to pursue God with that level of closeness. And we have to be careful that we don't stray. We have to be careful that the things of life don't creep in and distract us, which is so easy to do. But also Romans 8 verse 28, which I'll read to us, is a wonderful psalm that, that summarises why David has confidence in God. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. He knows that God has his back. He knows that he can trust in God, despite being in a wilderness with no no clear sign of deliverance and a clear logistical difficulties and misery that would have come with being hiding in a desert, in a cave somewhere. Um, He still trusts God. Because he knows that's who his God is. So just as I move on to just conclude, one of the things, we're not going to do this today, but one of the things me and Temi actually find really helpful um, is actually writing our own psalms. Um, And uh, obviously these aren't uh, psalms that that, uh, the scripture is done and finished with, but these are just our own personal psalms and poems um, that might be a response to this that you want to you follow up with in your own time. You might want to scribble down a psalm, um, even modelled on, on what David has said, but maybe introducing your own circumstances. I think that's really helpful. But I reiterate, rejoice, Christian. You have something that is better than life itself, both now in this life and to the full extent in heaven to come. That's amazing, isn't it? That's worth lifting our hands and doing a bit of dancing about.
<laughs> and if you don't know this yet today, I, I, I plead with you. I plead with you to invest your life in the one who loves you, has expressed such amazing love, which we're going to come on to do communion, which Duncan will lead us in, but has expressed such amazing love for us. But is love himself, is the very embodiment of it. He is living waters. You will never not be satisfied. I encourage you to come to receive him into your life today. Please, if you're in the room, I encourage you to come and speak to me and Duncan after. Or if you're online, I encourage you to get in touch with us through the website. We'd be more than happy to speak to you or to put you in touch with an alpha course or something like that. But please do reach out to us. There is nothing better, nothing better in life. And church, let us seek to grow in these disciplines that we've mentioned. Thirsting for God, praising God, trusting in God. Because he wants us to grow. He wants us to mature. He wants us to be fruitful. These are things where I just, <laughs> just think, how can we not? How can we not? But I reiterate, it's not, it's, not a leg- it's not a legalistic thing. It's not about measuring how much we've done of this or that. But it's just, I know where I want to be. And where I want you to be putting your time and your effort into. So I'm just going to pray for us to close. And then Duncan will come to lead us in communion. Father God, I thank you so much that, <laughs> that your love and kindness is better than life itself. I thank you that that is a reality for me, that is a reality for many of my brothers and sisters here this morning. I pray that that would be the cornerstone that continually allows us to be secure, allows us to be fruitful in pursuing some of these disciplines in terms of growing and being more effective and fruitful for you. I pray that we would carry with us, in this, not, just, not just today, but in the coming weeks and months, this continual reminder of, yeah, of this psalm. And I just, I just pray particularly for, for us as a church, Lord. I pray for, let us, let us grow in the discipline of praise. Let us throw off, Lord, the reserved nature that we have that largely comes from the culture we've grown up in. And let us be like David. Let's have moments of exuberant praise, not just on Sundays, but in our lives, Lord. Let us be just so focused on you that we, we don't care about anything else. We don't care what people think because we've just got eyes for you. We've got eyes for the living water that replenish us, replenishes us, that leaves us never thirsty, never needing um, anything else, Lord, other than you. And Lord, I thank you for your love. Thank you for your love that you, 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 you give to us. And Lord, this is focused on primarily your character, Lord, but I do pray for people in situations. Maybe some people this morning, Lord, are in situations where they feel like David. They feel like they're in the wilderness and it's tough and it's bleak. I pray that you would, they would know your love in those times. They would know the shadow of your wings. They would know your goodness in those moments, I pray. Thank you, Lord, so much for your love. We just worship you. You are so good to us. We're so thankful. Amen.